You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Ordinary. Today, we are here with special guest, Bill Kenny. Bill is the CEO of a world-class B2B brand agency, Focus Lab. Focus Lab has helped many companies go on to become unicorns. This is so important for any of our founding teams that are listening today that are thinking about how do I take my business to the next level? So we're going to hear today from Bill why design and brand is so important to growing your company. One of the noteworthy successes that Focus Lab has had is helping Marketo rebrand. And as you know, Marketo went on to be sold to Adobe for $5 billion. So that's just one of the 12 acquisitions that's happened for companies that have gone through the rebranding process with Focus Lab. So if you're a founding team out there today, you're going to hear a lot about how to take your brand, your design to a whole new level. So stick with us. And then at the end, we'll make sure that you know how to get in touch with Bill's team at Focus Lab. So Bill, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, excited to chat. Well, excellent. So, you know, Bill, before we get into the branding, we always like to ask our guests, uh, what was that breakthrough moment in their career that kind of catapulted their success? Uh, obviously, you you own one of the leading branding firms in the country, but you probably didn't start there. So how did this come about? Correct, 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 correct. So in thinking about this question, I'm going to try to figure out where to start. But really, the seed where this thing started for me, I do have a business partner, but where it started for me was actually in college. That's going way, way back. It wasn't branding at that point, but ultimately I realized that I was going to be an art major. That very scary, probably every parent in the world's like, oh my God, my kid's going to be an art major. Great. Where's that going to go? But I did that. It was natural to me. I enjoyed that major. I really did well in that major. Other ones I did terrible at. And that's really like the true spawning point. But coming much further down the line from that, design comes into play, right? Like you're just not going to paint all day. At least I wasn't. So getting into design, understanding the influence and power of design, understanding my love for being on the computer, being a bit more technical in that way, as opposed to drawing all day. And that's where it starts to come to life. That's where my college training, my love and passion for a thing starts to become a business. So I guess I'll stop there without going super duper long, but you know, We've had transitions in our business to figure out, are we branding specific? What else do we offer? And I'm happy to get into any of that. Well, Bill, when you were in college and you were going down this path, you learned design was important. Did you just start getting kind of side gigs along the way? Or how did it actually transition into a business for you? Yeah. So the spawning of the business, it was after college. I had recently moved to Savannah, Georgia, lovely little town in the South. And yes, it was... It was small bits of freelance work on the side, family, friends, company that I actually worked at, realized that I could redo their, say, business cards, brochure, website. I could take the photos of the rental properties that would go onto their website. I was able to show my capabilities from a design perspective and even broader than design, I guess. And then I started getting those little side gigs. And before you know it, those little side gigs take up most of your time. And you're like, wow, there's something here. So that's where it started for me. That trickles into understanding then that I cannot do web development. That's where I meet my business partner, Eric, 
a developer. And that's really where the business business really starts to form at that point. Designer meets developer at Applebee's. The rest is history. So you guys actually met at Applebee's? We call it our first date. Yes. Our first date was at Applebee's. Classic. That right? is fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. And now, you know, we're sitting here October 2021. The song Fancy Like is just huge. It has actually become now an Applebee's commercial because it blew up so big on TikTok. So kind of the brilliant, one of the most brilliant coming togethers of social media with uh, the world and terrible food. So (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. So we're 12 years in now, just for some additional context. So we're, we're just up on our 12th birthday and it's been a wild ride. I feel very grateful. So how many people are on the team with you and Eric at this point? 26. Excellent. And Bill, uh, you know, when you guys first started, I assume you didn't have some of these like major companies you were supporting yet. A lot of our founding teams are listening and uh, they still might be in that stage of the business where they're just trying to get Mm. their sea legs. Was it, did it just grow light speed for you guys? Or was there a period where you really had to grind it out to make it happen? I wouldn't say it was light speed. It's a lot of grinding. It's a lot of slow, organic growth, right? So early years for us would have been primarily Savannah clients, right? Like restaurants and mom and pop style clients, which was great, right? So that really is down to that small business owner, founder feel. But through the power of the internet and through the power of sharing our work, we start to broaden our customer base at that point. And that's where you start to fast forward, get companies like Marketo finding you on the internet. But in between that, there's a lot of grinding. There's a lot of hard work, but it is incrementally up though. So there was always enough light in front of you that you were always chasing it. And then you look back 10 years later and you're like, wow, we've come a long way. Absolutely. Did you ever reach a point where you questioned if it was worth it to actually be a business owner? Oh, that's a great question. I, I literally think that's only crossed my mind once. And I truly mean that. Like, I'm up for the grind. I'm an Enneagram 3. I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram. I'm actually a 2-3. But an Enneagram 3 is the, like, the competitor challenge me. I'm up for the fight. So I think that helps me a lot. Like, the grind is almost like propels me. I'm like, yeah, but let's not like fake it. Like there are definitely days that suck. Yeah. And one of those critical points was, I I believe we were in like year three and a half to four. We had incremental, pretty good, solid growth up into that point. And we hit our first sales slump. That's the first time I had to ever experience what is it like to let people go? What is it like to really feel like your business could actually fail? And in that time, we've also had a, we had a couple team members, one key team member transitioning, going on to next big gig. And I think in those moments of despair, right, me sitting in my basement in my little office down there going like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Is this for me? I was quickly able to pull myself out of that within like a day, if you will. I wrote some motivational stuff on on the wall, quite literally, like, you got it, keep your chin up, like you're going to make it through this. And I fought the fight and thank God I did, quite honestly. Like that's the nature of running a business. I can tell you though that the it's higher lows is maybe one way to think about it. Like you're gonna hit, you're going to. I'm not naive. Like we would hit new pitfalls, but they wouldn't be as low maybe as that moment. So so yeah, I stuck with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I we call that 
hitting the ceiling, really. You're just running into a new set of challenges that seems mm-hmm. hard to overcome at the moment. But I really want our listeners to hear that every single founder I am going to bring on this show for you to hear from, including myself, is going to tell you there were days when we questioned, is it worth it? Should we keep going? Should we just throw in the towel? And that's very normal. And it's that fight through it. It's the grit, the determination to get to the other side, to get through that ceiling, to break through that ceiling that really sets apart the successful entrepreneurs and those that really should just go back to some kind of nine to five work. Yeah, I agree with that. You kind of find yourself in those moments, right? And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's just what's right or wrong for that person in their personality style. I think in that moment, I realized, oh, I am up for this fight. I could have easily realized like, this is not for me and or my family. You know, there's a lot of other dynamics at play. So yeah, you got to grind through that stuff if you really want to do it. Absolutely. So you make it through those difficult years. And then you said something, you said that then companies like Marketo actually find you online. So was that just a, a cold solicitation on their part? They like saw the work you guys were doing and said, we want them? Correct. Yeah, we've been really lucky and I'm extremely grateful for the fact that we don't have to probably market in the way that some companies in and outside of our industry have to do to get in front of of new eyes. We've been able to share our work early and often since the beginning of the business. And that has put us in a spot where a company like Marketo can stumble upon us through the ways of the internet and say, hey, I like this group of people and they do killer work. I'm going to reach out to them. So yeah, they just found us. Sarah Kennedy, if you're listening, she's awesome. She was a CMO at that point. She found us. She reached out. And um, yeah, what a great project. Wow. Well, Bill, I want to spend a little bit of time here today. You know, we do have those founder teams out there, you know, and and certainly we at Mammoth invest in companies Mm -hmm. and we very much want to see them succeed. And what we believe, and I know you believe, is that design matters, brand matters, image matters, reputation matters. And so what are the things that a company that is kind of in that stage, they've gone beyond idea into execution of their idea, and they're at that stage and they're trying to get their arms around, okay, what does our brand need to embody? What is that kind of next stage of our public face to the world? What are the things they need to be thinking about? I'm going to go broad, 30,000 foot view, and then I can go a bit more granular. But I just want to step back for just a second and say, not only does brand matter, and we're going to be extremely biased, so you're going to have to like set that aside. I would say that almost nothing matters more than brand, especially today. You're in a world fraught with noise and distraction. And look at me, look at this thing. This is what we stand for. This is what we stand for. Oh, we're better at this. We're better at that. We have a thousand features. We have a thousand features. At that point, you're left trying to figure out how you don't just become a commodity in your particular vertical, in your market. And we would argue strongly that brand is one of those key ways to do that. So then coming down to a closer view of what do you do then, brand is rooted in the purpose of the company. So your first step is essentially to figure out why do we exist? Why does it matter? What is our why? You know, for people familiar with the Simon Sinek, find your why. If you're not, you should watch that quick YouTube video. But it's those things that then become the brand story ultimately, right? Like 
Tesla's why is much grander than producing a really fast electric car, right? Their brand is much bigger than that. And that's what people buy into. They want to buy into a better future. They want to buy into maybe the people behind the company and their particular story. So that's ultimately that's where it starts without going into all the things that brand is, because that's a really long story. So, Bill, I love what you said, that brand is rooted in the purpose of the company. And let's say we've got a company out there and they have a really strong sense of their identity. They have that. What's the next step? What do they do next? Yeah. So this is where the branding process becomes really fruitful. Going through a branding or a rebranding, if you will, that exercise is going to allow you to bring that purpose to the table, have another group, brand experts, if you will, an agency like ours, sit with you, dissect that, evolve that with you, and ultimately distill it down to something that then you can put back out into the market and say, wow, this is really clear now what we stand for. Sometimes those that brand purpose and that brand story is still kind of insulated within the company. How it thinks about itself, how it acts internally might be much different than how it acts or is perceived externally. Those need to be in line. That is one part of going through that that brand process helps to make sure that that is true. So you're in that process, your agency or another branding agency would really be looking at is the message that they think they're sending out to the world, the one that the world or more importantly, their actual customer base or, or target customer base is actually seeing. Is that accurate? That's a thousand percent correct. That's you're dead on there. We're trying to make because the story is there ultimately, right? Like we're not the heroes of the brand process. The hero really is the client. We're helping them find their best story. And story comes through in actual words. It comes through in visuals. It comes through in all of those aspects that would be the brand touch points. We're helping them really distill down to that best story. So again, it's it's there. It's very hard to expect a company that may have no time to sit down, find that story, craft that story, ship that story. So we come in and support in all of those efforts. Yeah, I think most companies, especially in those early days, right, they're trapped in what I like to call the whirlwind of working in the business. And there's just not a lot of time to step back and work on the business. And that's so essential. Certainly any of the companies we invest in at Mammoth, we want to make sure they're spending ample time working on the business, not just in it. But it's hard to step back and see that when you're in the midst of it. So this is just a good reminder for our listeners in companies, You know, make sure you're taking those strategic breaks to step back and say, okay, are we actually accomplishing what we need to be accomplishing right now. And so Bill, you know, you that sounds like a one of the early stages of the branding process is going out there and saying what do you want your identity to be versus what Correct. people are actually experiencing from the business. And then let's say you find out that there is misalignment there, that what they're wanting the market to see, hear, feel is not what's actually happening. What's the next step of trying to actually fix that? That is ultimately what we're doing, really. We are looking for that misalignment. It is very rare that someone's going to go through that exercise and and then we would look at it critically and say, oh, what you're saying is exactly accurate. There's no room for improvement. By the time someone's reaching out to us, they understand there actually is a failure there. And that could be because the company has just evolved to a new part in maturity in their life cycle. So there is a different story to tell. Maybe they pivoted 
to a different vertical. So there's absolutely a different story to tell. No longer is it just, I need a new logo because I look dated, right? It has to be bigger and all encompassing than that. I just want to go back for a second though, because there's something very interesting that happens in these branding exercises. And you were touching on it there for a minute, which is when somebody works with us and goes through a branding exercise, it almost forces their hand to work on the business, not in the business. And I don't think they realize that in the beginning, right? The the initial engagement to them feels kind of like a marketing spend, not a business spend. So, oh, marketing says we need to rebrand. And they think, okay, I'll join some meetings and, you know, I'll get to see some colors and some logos and Yeah, great. They think of it as a design exercise, but through the engagement and by the end of it, they look back and go like, wow, I don't know that I've ever maybe thought so much besides founding days, those early, early days of what my company stands for, why it exists, to have people to riff on that with, to have weeks of iteration going back and forth. I mean, if you're a solo founder, who the hell do you even do that with? Quite honestly, right? Like there's like maybe a mentor, but talk to yourself in a mirror for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's said, or your husband, like, it's just not really going to work out that well. So it is funny that there is this, like, there's this hidden value. There's almost this like hidden business therapy part of a branding exercise that they don't even know they're signing up for, which I think ultimately is quite rewarding. Really. There's many times at the end of a project where it's like the client could be saying, geez, I really don't want this to end. It's really nice to break out of my normal workflow, come over here and actually work on the business. So I just wanted to highlight that because you said that statement and that resonates, that happens. Bill, I love that. It's like they almost trick themselves into working on the business when they thought they were working in it for a day. And now now all of a sudden the sneak attack to doing really important strategic work happens. So let's say through that, we do realize this misalignment and we need to fix it. That really takes them into the branding process. I think it would help our listeners if you could just describe the branding process and what that needs to look like. Yeah. So I'll I'll try to save us time with minute granular details that can be found on our website, which we'll plug at the end. But the process What we're talking about, this whole kind of like, we're going to think about the business strategically and all of a sudden it becomes working on the business. That is very much happening in phase one of the project. I I almost shouldn't say phase one. That is very much happening at the beginning of the branding engagement, which we would call brand strategy. So brand strategy will exist for a series of weeks, sometimes up to four or five if it's a really big company, sometimes two or three is all that's needed. But that series of weeks is the input in the output to say, tell us everything you're doing. Let us do our research. Let us take our perceptions of the market and your customers and all these things and try to define if we believe what you're saying is resonating per all the channels that we're going to use. Put that back in front of the client, see how that resonates with them. Really, there's a lot of like input. We're trying to learn their company too. We might not know these industries at all, although we work in B2B, that's still a pretty broad group of companies. So we're trying to learn the industry and do all this stuff. All that to say, strategy, strategy, strategy is critical, right? Like I think a lot of people, again, want to get to design, but I just need new colors and I need a new logo. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're talking about the business at its core because everything will be informed by that. So we do all of that heady stuff in the strategy portion of the project. And ultimately that then directs where we're going to go. 
Bill, that process sounds really critical. And I've seen firsthand how much value that can add to a business. What would be, I think, really helpful for our listeners is if you have an example that you can kind of walk them through a company actually going through that. Do you have any companies you could talk about? So we certainly have plenty, but I think the best example and maybe the safest because we can't be just broadcasting everybody's project would be Focus Up. We just went through our own rebrand last year during COVID. I can tell you why. So now I can actually take you down to the the business owner reasoning. I can talk about what we were trying to achieve. So the why ultimately for Focus Labs rebrand was 12 years into the business, we realized the story that we were telling was not clear. We were still in this world of like, well, we're a creative agency. We do branding, but we also do web and we kind of do all these other things, right? So that's a messy story. That's not going to get a B2B technology company really excited to work with us. Although that's what we were really becoming behind the scenes. So we just leaned into that story. We leaned into our rebrand to say, okay, there's a better story here. We need to figure out how to tell it. But again, starting at strategy, we as the clients, us three partners are trying to do input to the team, even though they probably don't need all of that. What are we trying to achieve? What does the next three to five years look like at Focus Lab? Who are our new target customers if they've changed? All of this stuff that would inform the decision-making. That's really what's happening in that strategy part of the project. And then again, once you have all that up on understanding and clarity, both client side and brand agency side, then you say, with this new understanding, we're going to design for this. We're going to write for that. We're going to position the company as X, not Y. You get all of those outputs. You iterate on those outputs, right? It's not an immediate aha moment, but you're on a single track. You're no longer on like a six lane highway. You're literally on a one way road going in the right direction. And I got to tell you, even as a business owner, it's so funny. Like we do this for clients now for, for 12 years, for really small and then now really big. And you always preach the value of it. We went through it and I come out the other side and I go, wow, that really does work. Not that I didn't think it did, but when you get to see it actually, I already see how much power that has added to us as a company. I'm like, wow, even for us as a brand agency, that made a a monumental shift. You get to see it for your own company. It means something at a whole different level, right? Yes. Yeah. Funny realization for me to see that. I love that. So Bill, along the way for Focus Lab in your rebranding, Did you guys encounter any misalignments? Yeah, absolutely. Here's like a very funny story that I share that I think points to this whole dilemma. So we we tell our team, this was a couple of years back now, we tell our team at our full team gathering the round table that we have weekly, hey, everybody, breaking news. We are going to put our flag in the ground and we're going to become a brand agency, right? And to us, that felt like clarity. To have a person on the team raise their hand and then say, I thought we already were a brand agency. And it's like, there's the problem because I don't know that everybody knows that. Some people seem to know it. Some people don't seem to know it. So that just kind of like highlighted the problem basically. And it it wasn't a critical problem. It's one of those, like it's a paper cut. It's not slowing us down tremendously, but it's like extra friction and extra drag from allowing us to really propel. So I think that's why sometimes you're blinded to that. Like, I don't know, is it a critical problem that everybody needs to know that we are a brand agency only? It's like, well, it's not going to mean that we literally fail as a business. It's going to slow us down though. Absolutely. So actually, so Bill, when I go to your website today at focuslab.agency, 
one of the first things that happens is your website pops up and this red circle comes around the word brand. I mean, it is like crystal clear. That is what you guys do. Who came up with that? Who came up with that idea on your team? Give them a shout out. God, I don't know. There's such a, a shared lift for all the things that we do. I think it would actually be unfair maybe to call one person. But yes, I'm very happy that it is crystal clear. I was actually just doing an interview myself of a past client and talking about, you know, how'd you find us? Why'd you hire us? And one of the things that they said was when I land on your website, I immediately know what you do. I know why you do it. It's very practical. It's very tangible. It's not artsy and theoretical and vague. So that was a big part of the rebrand process, like crystallizing that. Again, it wasn't just, oh, let's pick some new colors that make us look different. It has to be more than that. That's where the real value comes from. Bill, for our listeners out there, you know, let's say they're running a company. What are some of those red flags that should be warning signals going off for them to say you might have a brand problem? That's a fantastic question because I think that is the hardest thing. It is very hard. It can be very hard, especially for a a small business, solo owner, if you will, to recognize that because they're still stuck in the trenches and not maybe higher up to perceive that larger problem. As the businesses get bigger and there's marketing departments and CMOs, that's their only focus. So if I come back down to that person, those red flags, this is actually appropriate for, for anybody, but those red flags are going to be, do you feel like you're not reaching your customer, essentially, right? Like imagine a world where if Focus Lab was always competing against other agencies and we never got the brand projects. And it's like, we have a problem. They don't even realize we do brand, right? So there would be some type of customer disconnect that you would want to identify. I think one that gets overlooked is actually internal. Internal culture is also heavily influenced by brand. And the way that would represent itself as a red flag is maybe you're struggling with recruitment. Maybe you're struggling with retention. That could very easily be people don't know why they're working there because they don't even know why the company exists and they're not jazzed about it, right? It's not a story that they are excited to get up and get out of bed and fight for every day. So when you when you go through these branding processes and you find that, it infects and influences everything to a degree. So those would be a couple of the flags. I mean, the other easy red flags are, do you actually look extremely dated? I think that is a relevant red flag, right? Like if somebody is looking to pick a business over another business and one looks like it's 30 years old and hasn't cared a bit to think about brand or design or communications. And one looks fresh and up to date and modern and progressive and leading the charge. Hey, sometimes that's enough to win. So you have to consider that. And I want to tell our listeners real quick, Bill, here's the problem on looking dated side. Usually the executive team can't understand that they look dated because the executive team might be dated. So those of you listening, if you are looking at your company's brand and you are saying, oh my gosh, this thing is so dated and you're slapping yourself upside the forehead every time you go to your company's website, I am telling you, go talk to that executive team, go give them your honest feedback and say, I love this company. I hate that we look dated. How can we fix this? Let's take care of this problem. You can subtly send them this episode of this podcast and say, hey, please listen to this because we are one of those companies they are talking about that has the red flags of 
looking dated. All right, back to you, Bill. Yeah, I was just going to say it's it really just comes back to story and perception. It doesn't mean you're lying. You're not you don't want to create a facade that is not true, but if you're going to say we are the leading fill in the blank in the fill in the blank market and somebody goes to your website and it doesn't feel like you're the leading, your story starts to fall apart whether you like it or not. That's just the reality that we live in. And that's where a brand exercise would help elevate brand visuals, brand communications, the language that would show up on that site, and then ultimately the redesign of the site, right? Because I don't want to say that brand is redesigning your website, but it is all that foundational work that would make it to the website that would then make you look like you're leading again, as opposed to falling behind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's wonderful. And, you know, Bill, sometimes companies get to that point and they realize, okay, we have a problem, but then it seems like things get in the way. There's these blockers that keep them from actually acting on it and doing something about those red flags. What are those main blockers that you guys see companies encounter that hold them back from getting this important work done? I think the first blocker is, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And we kind of just discussed that. That is a pretty big blocker. But once you get past that, then I think you get to the, well, what do I need in the brand process? You know, and that's where we would be consulting in these calls to say like, no, 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 no. You're saying you need a new logo. You actually, hold on, let's tell you actually what you really need because brand is not a logo. So there's some kind of mental blockers there of what they might need to propel them to what they're trying to do. I think cost and timeline is usually a blocker for some companies because it can be a costly investment and it it can take a while, right? Like a branding project can be three to six months. So here's the dilemma that happens because by the time you finally realize you need it, you're like, oh shit, I needed it like yesterday. So then you're on this rapid pace. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to like, now we got to slow down and do this thing right. I'm happy you realized you need it, but let's do it right. So I think timeline and cost can sometimes be a blocker. But once you get past those... Your only blocker is really just finding the right company to work with and dedicating time to work with them to do it. So I guess there's like a series of walls in the way. But once you get through those, you get to the other side. I was having another interview, like I was just mentioning before, and I was asking the past client. They've been out for 12 months. This is Rose.com. Fantastic product. They are the new world of spreadsheets, taking on the big dogs of the world of spreadsheets an example, Microsoft. So so this is just for clarity for our audience. This is R-O-W-S, not R-O-S-E. Yeah, correct. R-O-W-S.com, like a spreadsheet, rows in a spreadsheet. So we rebranded them 12 months ago. And when I was talking with Umberto this week, actually, I was asking him, now reflecting back on this project, do you feel like it was a good spend, right? Because sometimes, like I said, it can be costly. And he's like, I've got to tell you, this will be recorded. This will be out there. I'm not making this up. This will be public in a couple of weeks. He's like, we have absolutely already made all of that money back. The amount that we save now in recruitment, to go back to recruitment, the amount that we save now, he's like, you know, hiring a, a recruiter could cost me 20 grand to find a right team member for A, B, or C. He's like, I have people literally emailing me say, I love this new rebrand. I actually know about Focus Lab. I want to come work with you. He's like, there you go. That already cuts a piece of my investment right there. ROI, cha-ching, in the pocket. So that's probably the hardest blocker for us to get past historically is the, will I get my money back? Because branding can be very gray, right? Like it's very hard to prove some of the data to say, oh yes, 
new words, new colors, new logos, new website, new whatever in your brand bucket returned this dollar exactly. Would that dollar have come without it? I don't know. We may never know. But now as we get more mature in a company and we work with these types of companies, we're starting to hear that return very directly. So maybe that blocker is going to go away now that we can speak to it better, which is exciting. They can sense it. And now you've got some great testimonials to go back it up. So absolutely. Well, Bill, this has been absolutely tremendous. We're moving into the segment where I get to ask two questions to wrap us up. The first is the question that I believe all of our listeners are wanting to know. That really means it's the question I want to know. So you've been in some intense meetings, I have to imagine, with some founders, with some executive teams. And without naming any names or companies, I want to hear about your most intense meeting with a client. What happened? Oh my gosh. The branding process is a challenging process. It's very near and dear to the companies that we work with. And there are definitely times where there's tension in the room, for sure. We don't love this. Maybe we hate it. Why do we hate it? You're not doing your job. We've actually, we're quite good at navigating that conversation. We've been doing it long enough to say like, all right, so is it subjective? Is it objective? What do we not like about it, et cetera? But what was the most intense thing you've experienced in that difficult conversation? God, I don't even know if I should say this, but I'll say it. We'll see how it comes out. So (laughs) there's a very unique meeting that comes to mind. We were working with a client and the client was really struggling to get on board with the direction that ultimately did become the direction. This client was really struggling to get on board so much so that they really began to dictate the entire project and become a blocker of the project. And that is not too crazy, that that type of scenario. But what is crazy is when you can't figure out what they actually want then. When week to week, it might be something different and you just feel like, man, I'm all over the place. I'm going to work with you, but I just literally don't know what you want because it seems to keep changing. So I hit a breaking point, but this was an intentional breaking point because I felt like it would work. Again, going back to personality styles, DISC, the disc profiles, I interpreted this person to be a high D, which means they're going to be really to the point and they're actually going to be very comfortable with a very blunt question. So I legit in the meeting took a breath and went for it. And I just straight up said, what the F do you want? Question mark. And I just let that hang in the room. And I feel like everybody wanted to crawl underneath the table, but I did it. It sounded frustrated. I actually prefaced. I said, listen, I'm going to say something that I've never said in a meeting, but I think it's going to be helpful to get to the point. And I might have said it like, I literally don't know what the F you want. And I think that helped though. It really did help because it triggered him to go, oh, okay, I can see this is serious. I need to figure out what I'm trying to tell you. And then we got resolution the next week. So, hey, I'm not saying that's the way people should go about it. I would hate to even have any client hear this and say like, oh, that's the type of treatment we're going to get. But that is the answer to that question. That was the craziest shit that happened in a meeting. It worked. I'm one for one. I'll never do it again. I'm not even in the client meetings anymore. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) Well, what I love about it, Bill, is you took the approach that the business needed. And, you know, that is at the end of the day, that's what businesses truly want. So good on you guys to actually help them get to that next level. And so many times we see this when we're investing in companies, sometimes the biggest problem is the founder is in their own way or the founders are in their own way and they need help getting out of their own way. And sometimes it's a good smack upside the back of the head 
or the right question, the right question, timed and tactfully offered that allows that founding team to get outside of their own way. So I appreciate you sharing. And, you know, Bill, the real question that our listeners want to hear is I'm sure there's somebody listening here that is realizing as we're talking, ah, maybe I'm that company that's dated, or maybe I'm that company that has a misalignment in what my customers are experiencing compared to what I'm wanting them to experience. And if that is the case and they want to get in touch with Focus Lab, what is the best way for them to reach out? And maybe more importantly, what are the types of businesses that are the right customers for Focus Lab also Mm -hmm. so that we don't have a bunch of people reaching out that really aren't the right fit for Focus and so that we're not wasting their time or your time? What seems like the lazy answer, but the right answer for the how to reach out to us is absolutely going to our website. So focuslab.agency, no plural on labs, just focuslab.agency. That's going to do all of the heavy lifting, really in-depth case studies, really highlights the type of work we do, shows all of our services. You get to see the entire team. You get to see the company's core values, et cetera, et cetera. That's going to give you everything you need. If you want to branch out and follow us on social media, the site will allow you to do that. So I don't need to mention all those here. The types of clients, we still like to keep it fairly open, meaning we don't want to go super niche, but it is B2B tech is our primary audience. Having said that, we rebranded a beach arcade in Delaware. We've done CBD drink packaging. Like there's some offshoots that are really fun, right? Because it's kind of like new and different. So we do enjoy that. But ultimately, the mountain we're climbing and putting the flag in the top of is B2B technology. Excellent. Well, Bill, it has been absolutely wonderful having you here today. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Ordinary. Happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.